Thank you, David, Stephanie, Gabby, thank you. And good morning, New Village Church. I'd like to thank all of you, everyone who has uh, joined us today by way of the internet. Uh, may the Lord be pleased with our worship, with our praise to him as we exalt his name together. And before we open his word this morning, I'd like to again just take a minute out, prepare our hearts, and just to settle down a little bit and to just ask God to uh, prepare our hearts for his word this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you, we bless you, for you alone are deserving of all of our praise, all honor, and all glory. Father, we confess to you that we are needy people, sinners in need of your mercy and grace, in need of daily washing in the blood of Jesus. Forgive us, Father, of our sins. Cleanse us and restore us. Restore us to full fellowship with you once again. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds for what you'd have us to learn this morning. Apply your word to our lives to change us, to make us more like Jesus so that we can be light and salt in this world to impact others around us, Father. And may this be done for your glory and your honor and your praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now each Sunday, as we continue now through the Gospel of Mark, we are examining at least one section of each of these chapters that we go through. Today we'll be looking at Mark chapter 3. Lord willing, David will be speaking from uh, chapter 4 next week, taking a section from there. And so I encourage you to uh, look ahead, read that chapter in advance, so we can get a little more out of it. Today we'll be specifically looking at the healing that Jesus performed on the Sabbath day. And this will be, our text will be Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I hope you have your Bibles with you and that you're open and you're following along. And again, I'll read now Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they may accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up, come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and began conspiring with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Just to understand where this fits into the Gospel of Mark, if we continue on looking at the verses just after this and Mark the, uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, we see that Jesus, after this, withdraws to the sea with his disciples. And a large crowd from Galilee follows him. Now the people who made up this crowd were from all over the place, down there, Judea, Idumea, we had Jerusalem people, people from across the Jordan, Tyre and Sidon, all other parts of Palestine. Great numbers of people were flocking to Jesus 
to see what he was doing. He was healing many. Verses 13 through 19, Jesus goes up into the mountainside and there selects the 12. These 12 to be with him, the apostles, the sent ones, to learn from him, to go out and serve. In verses 20 through 34, we have these accusations against Jesus by his family and by the teachers of the law. And after that, Jesus defines a new relationship by saying and asking a question, who are my mother and my brothers? Now these are the events of chapter 3 that follows the section that we were just in. And just to look at the verses just prior that leads into our section today, we look back at uh, chapter 2, verses 23 through 27, and we have another Sabbath day activity here. And this one angered the Pharisees also. This will be a little bit of a review what Nick explained so well last Sunday. Now while walking down and passing through some grain fields, the disciples picked some heads of the grain to eat. And the Pharisees, apparently with him, says to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now the picking of the grain, they were not stealing. They were doing what was lawful under the Mosaic law. In Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25, we see that a traveler that didn't have enough food with him or was hungry on his journey was allowed to hand-pick enough food from the roadside crops to satisfy his hunger. What was forbidden was the harvesting, harvesting for profit on the Sabbath because it was a day of rest. But the rabbinical teachings of the day were so distorted and so restrictive in regard to these activities, when they saw the disciples picking some heads of grain and then rubbing it together in their hands to separate the grain from the stalk, they looked at this as being harvesting, that they were doing work. Now the Pharisees, and the lines of taking the rabbinical teachings and, and being so restrictive, they're making these even equal to the Holy Scriptures, if not even superior to them. So Jesus here answers their question by saying, have you never read? Implying that these experts on the law and the Pharisees, don't you remember this Old Testament example? And he goes back to what David did in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. Now when David was fleeing from Saul, he and his companions were hungry, so they entered into the house of God and requested food from themselves from the high priest. Now the high priest who gave them this consecrated bread, bread from the presence, which was removed from in front of the Lord in the holy place. And this bread was replaced with fresh hot bread, and this was done once a week. And interesting enough, it was done on the Sabbath. Now David and his men ate this holy bread, which normally was only to be eaten by the priests. It should be noted that this activity is not condemned anywhere in Scripture. God was not offended by what David did. God did not want David and his men to become weak and weary from lack of food. But Jesus concludes this example of mercy and compassion with this statement from chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, 
and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This goes right back to creation. The Sabbath came into being for the sake of man. Men did not come into being for the sake of the Sabbath. God instituted this Sabbath to benefit man, to give him a day of rest, a day of physical recuperation each week. But the Pharisees turned this Sabbath day, this day of rest, into a day of burdening rules and regulations that had to be strictly obeyed, giving man no rest at all. And it was work to keep these rules. They had to work hard at keeping these rules and regulations. And in doing so, the Pharisees became the real violators of the Sabbath themselves. Jesus said, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus here is claiming to be greater than the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath. All things were made by Him. John 3, 1. Uh, John, first John, uh, excuse me, John 3, verse, I'll get it right. John, John 3, verse, John 1, verse 3. Third time around I got it. He is divine. He is God. God of the day of rest and thus has the authority to restore it to its original intent. A day of rest. Jesus elevated himself far above the rabbinical rules and regulations to declare himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Again, it should be noted here that Jesus did not condemn what the disciples were doing. Now this conflict that we see here between Jesus and the Pharisees as to what the Sabbath was, what it was meant for, and what was permitted on it, continues into today's text of Mark 3 verses 1 through 6. Both of these events are found in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. So you might hear me referring to a few points from these other two Gospels as well as we go through this. So we're looking at again Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and permit me to read them again. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with a withered hand, Get up, come forward. But he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Now looking at verse 1, we see here Jesus, it says, entered again into a synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. 
Now this synagogue is unnamed. We don't know which synagogue it was, don't know what town it was in, but it was in the uh, area of Galilee. Now Luke 6, 6 adds, which is a parallel passage, tells us that Jesus was teaching there. And as on most occasions, I'm sure, those that were gathered around Jesus were hanging on his every word. Jesus' teachings were amazing. They were filled with authority and not like that of the scribes as Matthew describes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. A man was there whose hand was withered. Now, among this congregation, a man was there with a withered hand. Now, this word withered seems to indicate that it had like some sort of atrophy. It was wasting away, maybe neurologically lifeless. Now, it doesn't tell us how or when this occurred, if by accident or by disease, or how long this man had this condition. But what's interesting about it is that Dr. Luke adds in Luke chapter 6, 6, that it was his right hand, his right hand. According to Wikipedia, 90% of the world population is right-handed. Now, considering most people are right-handed, Luke may have had included this fact to indicate that this man might have had an incapacitated uh, condition, maybe making him unable to work fully, maybe unable to care for his family or maybe himself. You've got to remember the work, the work culture of that day was that which was very physically demanding. Try farming with oxen or a mule harnessed to a plow with one hand. Try fishing and pulling in heavy wet nets laden with fish into the boat and over the side with one hand. Try carpentry, masonry, or pottery with one hand. Now this man might have to resort to begging or at least to be dependent upon others. Remember also that these occurrences occurred on the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, which is a Saturday. Could Jesus have waited until the Sabbath was over to heal this man? Sure he could have, but he did not. Jesus knew what was watching. He knew what the hearts of those around him were like, and he had the right correct wrongs that he saw, to show mercy and compassion every day, including the Sabbath. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He intentionally healed on the Sabbath. Verse 2 tells us that they were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now they were watching him. They were watching him, all right, with the greatest of intent in order to what? To discredit him. They were scrutinizing his every move, seeing if he would violate their traditions and righteous observances. Now, over the years, the rabbinical teachings added restrictions to what level of care could be given on the Sabbath. Now, according to rabbinical law, unless someone's life was at stake, any effort to maintain this person outside of giving them a drink of water would be considered work. 
I could give you a drink of water to keep you alive on the Sabbath, but I couldn't do anything to improve your physical condition because that would be considered work. I would do just enough to keep you alive until the Sabbath was over. So they were watching to see so that they might accuse him. Jesus in healing this man was, a viol was violating the rabbinical Sabbath restrictions. Do you, do you think that the Pharisees or scribes cared about this man's welfare? Do they care that he had a withered hand? Do you think they were amazed at the power of God that would be on display? What was the sole purpose and main concern for this intense watching? So that they might accuse him. So what does Jesus do? He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up. Come forward. There does not appear to be any additional conversation between this man. Maybe Jesus never had contact with him before this. But Jesus, looking around the crowd, knowing his condition, calls him up front out of the crowd of people in this synagogue. Now, unlike other healings that we see in scriptures, the man did not call out to Jesus. Did not call out to Jesus to be healed. But I envision as Jesus was there in the synagogue and teaching, he stopped for a second and he looked at this man. And then asked him to come forward. I envisioned Jesus while he stopped and took the second to look through this crowd of people. And stared at him for a couple seconds just to tell him to get up and come forward. Now I don't know about you. But I don't like to be singled out from a crowd. Especially by a teacher who was just teaching in front of a whole congregation. This man was probably startled a little bit, maybe embarrassed being called up front, maybe even hiding his withered hand as he walked up front. But he obeys Jesus and goes forward. Now over in Matthew chapter 12 verse 10, this, this account of the Pharisees were asking Jesus a question. They say to him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. Jesus here turns that question back on them, turns it around, and then asks them to give him an answer to the question that he poses to them. So they just ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus in verse 4 turns this around and he says to them, is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Is it lawful? Jesus wanted to know if they were using the Mosaic law as their authority for their regulations, for their observances of the Sabbath. Were these rules consistent with the law of Moses, with the teachings of God in the Old Testament? Is it lawful? Is it lawful to do good? or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill. To do good or harm. To save life or to kill. 
Jesus, in using these extremes, shows that these regulations and traditions do. If they don't do good, they do harm. If they don't save life, they kill. There's no middle ground. Jesus here, again, in using these extremes, to kill is bad. To do harm is bad. It's obvious. To save life would be good. To do good. This was God's original intent for the Sabbath and every day. And here Jesus was doing good. So what was the Pharisee's real interest in watching Jesus and asking the question about the Sabbath day? It was to harm him, to accuse him. Their calloused hearts and lack of compassion for this man's condition showed the hardness of their hearts. They were not concerned with helping this disabled man. Their interest was what? In finding fault in Jesus and ultimately to bring about his death. So how did the Pharisees respond to Jesus' question? They kept silent. They kept silent. Think of why they couldn't give an answer. If they agreed that the lawful, it was lawful to do good and to save life on the Sabbath, they would be affirming Jesus' compassionate act for healing. And they would not have any grounds to accuse Jesus. If they said it was lawful to do harm or kill on the Sabbath, obviously that would go against everything the Old Testament teaches. So they chose to keep silent. After looking around, verse 5, after looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. After looking around at them with anger, Jesus looked at them. Jesus looked at them, and I would not want to be on the end of that look. That must have been piercing, like a knife going into you. Jesus looked at them with anger. Jesus here was displeased with their sin condition. We see Jesus here revealing his divine character, holy indignation at their sinful practices and attitudes. Now when we see somebody angry today, we think that's always something bad, especially when somebody loses their temper and they go out of control. Anger can be sinful, and maybe most of the displays we see are sinful. But anger is not always sinful. This here is a perfect example how Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, Sinless, perfect in holiness, he was angry. We see this again in the cleansing of the temple when Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and those selling doves. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.26, he says, Be angry and yet do not sin. There's a caution there. If angry... Anger itself, if it's unselfish and it's out of godly love, it's permitted. Permitted in Jesus' case here, expected. But remember the caution. Be anger, be angry, but yet 
do not sin. Jesus was angry, but he was also grieved. Grieved at the hardness of heart. Grieved with sorrow and sadness, knowing what the final end is of a hardened heart. A heart that is, does not repent of its sin, that does not receive the gospel, a heart that does not call upon the name of Jesus, will see eternal death and damnation, total separation from God. That's something to be grieved about. Something for us to be grieved about. Loved ones and friends whose hearts are so hardened that it seems that the truth of the gospel has no effect on them. We should be grieved. We should be in sorrow and sadness for them. We should be in prayer and praying that God would have mercy and break up the hardened ground. Praying for God to give us an opportunity to explain the gospel to them. The glorious truth of the gospel. Continuing verse 5, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. The man did what Jesus asked. He obeyed Jesus. First he got up. Then he came forward. And here he stretched out his withered hand. Giving what was lame and useless to him to be used by Jesus. Jesus used this withered hand to demonstrate that he was Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus wants all of us, every part of us. We come to him broken, parts not working well. He wants to use us. With all of our flaws and all of our imperfections, he wants to use us for his glory. And now, now, can you imagine the crowd's reaction to this? The gasps, the whispers, the excitement of watching this miracle take place in front of you. His hand was restored. Some of the congregation may have known this man. Maybe they were neighbors, friends, maybe relatives. Think of their excitement. And think of the man's reaction. He probably felt the rejuvenation and feeling coming back into that hand. Maybe it tingled. Maybe it felt warm. And then the personal excitement and that probably overwhelmed him of having a rehabilitated hand, a hand that was as strong as ever. The grip was restored, full mobility the range of motion and feeling back into it. He must have been praising God for the great things that were done. And the synagogue itself may have been in awe and perhaps a state of excitement and joyful celebration at what Jesus had just done. But not all of them. Not the Pharisees. Luke 6.11 states, but they themselves were filled with rage. They were filled with rage. Their own authority, their own respect, and their plans were in ruins. What work did Jesus do in accomplishing this healing? He did nothing. 
He did mix up some salve. He did not splash oil or water on the hand. He didn't even touch the man. All they did was ask the man to stretch his hand out. Jesus really didn't do any physical work but to heal. They had no grounds to accuse Jesus. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Did the Pharisees praise God for this healing? No. What did they do? They headed for the exits. The Pharisees went out. The Pharisees went out, verse 6, Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. The Pharisees went out immediately began conspiring. On this Sabbath day, when they forbid the good to be done, when they forbid the healing of those who needed help, they start working on a plan and immediately began conspiring a murder plot to kill Jesus. That sounds like evil, wicked work to me. They were putting together a plan to kill Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, on the Sabbath. And look who the Pharisees are joining forces with. The Herodians. Now the Herodians were a non-religious, secular, political group, basically, whose leaders were supportive of the Roman-backed government of the day. They supported Herod, Roman puppet leader, Rome's puppet leader. Now Herod was worried that Jesus was becoming very popular. The people were flocking to them, as we see in the next couple of verses after this. And Jesus' popularity was starting to be a threat to Herod's power. Over in Luke 13, 31, it states that Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Now the Herodians opposed the Pharisees on almost every issue. The Pharisees viewed the Herodians as traitors to the Jewish heritage. But each saw Jesus as a threat to their own authority and power. So they wanted Jesus dead. The two groups who could not be further apart now all of a sudden joined forces for a common enemy which would be Jesus. So intense was the Pharisees' hatred toward Jesus that they would join forces with their enemy to plot to kill him. So we see Jesus at this point and his disciples withdrew. So what can we take away from this passage? First and foremost, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The very Lord God who created the Sabbath here makes the original intent clear again. This is a day of rest, six days of labor, and set aside a day of rest which is holy. Let's not forget, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. To do good on it. Use it as a time of restoration and healing. Do what is acceptable unto the Lord on it in every day. Keep it Christ-centered. A time set aside for worship and renewal time to get away from the crazy world around us. This also shows us a truth about salvation. It includes ceasing from one's own works of righteousness and trying to keep the letter of the law to be good enough for God. We will never be perfect in and of ourselves. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. 
We can't get to heaven by doing good. But God has provided a rest from this labor, a Sabbath rest that is in the Lord of the Sabbath by resting in what Jesus did. He died on the cross for our sins and imputed his righteousness to us. By faith in the finished work of Jesus, we have rest from this labor. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 states, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Have you entered this rest? Have you ceased from your own good works and by faith received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I trust you have. Second point here, we obey what Jesus tells us to do. Just as the man with the withered hand did. We have the written word of God. It comes to us in more translations and styles than ever before. Read it faithfully. Read it prayerfully. Obey it. And then share it with others. Thirdly, give to Jesus everything. Romans 12.1 states this. It says, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. Jesus wants all of us, every broken piece, parts which we might be ashamed of, parts which we think can't be used, give them to God. Give them all to God and then stand back and see what he'll do with them. And fourth, we could take away a point of we should grieve. We should be in sorrow and sadness as Jesus did. Grieve for someone you know that does not know the Lord as their personal Savior this week. Take a few minutes out. Choose somebody. Lift them up in prayer. Ask God to soften their hearts to the gospel and then wait for a God-given opportunity to be used by him. I trust a few points here will be useful for us. Let them be applied to our hearts and our lives. Uh, let me just close in a moment of prayer here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die in our place on the cross. Thank you for your word that encourages us to love you more and to love those around us. Help us to be an instrument of your work. As we start a new week today, Lord, keep us mindful of you. Keep us mindful of what you would have us to do, your mission for each and every one of us. Use us, use all of us for your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.